morning, everyone. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Good morning to all of you who are with us today. Good morning to all of you at home. Happy Sunday before Christmas. You know, Christmas is such an amazing time for children. I mean, it's great for adults as well, but it's a wonderful time uh, for children. I was just uh, reading uh, to our our grandchildren in Germany yesterday, who are 10 and 6, I think I mentioned, uh, said some things about them last week. We're reading the same story that we've been reading. And you know how, you know, there's all kinds of Santa Claus. They got St. Nicholas over there. And eventually kids find their way to Jesus, the true meaning of Christmas. So with, these, with my kids in Germany, we could kind of joke about it. And uh, so we were talking about, you know, Germany's got like a lot of restrictions right now that can't get out, can't get around because of COVID. So we were talking about what's Santa gonna do with his sleigh and his reindeer and when he's coming, like how's he gonna gonna handle COVID, talking about wearing a mask and social distancing. But then we talked about how great it would be for Santa. He will also be using some hand sanitizer. And the kids just cracked up about about that. So, uh, but, there's a, there's a really cool quote from Charles Dickens about children and about Christmas. And I think it bears, it bears repeating here. Charles Dickens said, in a, it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. You know, Charles Dickens lived in the mid-1800s over in England, and he went on to write a famous novella, a short novel called A Christmas Carol. And perhaps you've heard, it's a very famous Christmas carol, say, or or famous story about a guy by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge was a very selfish man. He was a very stingy man. Man, He was a very hard-hearted man. He was a man who treated his employees poorly. He was a man who didn't care for people that were suffering. He was was just a a stingy, hard-hearted man. And uh, in this story written in 1843, and I want you to hear how Charles Dickens describes Ebenezer Scrooge and his whole bah bah humbug approach to Christmas. Listen to this description of Scrooge. The cold within within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. That was Charles Dickens' description of Ebenezer Scrooge. As the short story goes on, as the allegory goes, uh, Charles Dickens is visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. 
So the ghost of Christmas past appears to him. And he, he remembers, some, he's reminded of some things about growing up, some things about his story, some things about his family. And that begins to get to his heart. And then the ghost of Christmas present comes. And the ghost of Christmas present uh, shows him stories of people who are affected by his stinginess. All the, the, all the different people around him and the effects of his hard heart and his selfish nature. And then finally, he gets visited by the ghost of Christmas future. And he sees where everything is headed. He sees where it's going. And by Christmas Day, his heart has been broken. And he, and he, and he, and he, he comes to tears at what he has done. And he resolves to live a new life. And as, Char and, and as the story goes, Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up on Christmas a changed man and a changed purpose. You know, that story is such a power, powerful example of what we're going to talk about this morning because we're going to talk about how it is really the gospel that penetrates the heart and that changes the heart. And my goal for this sermon this morning is that every single one of us, including me, will be changed by the truth that we discover in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If you look at those two verses, there are two themes in there. The first one, Ephesians 3.20, is about the power of God. Ephesians 3.21 is about the glory of God. So those are the two big themes for this morning that we're going to talk about. So let's take a look. First of all, we want to talk about the power of God. Take a look at Ephesians 3.20 once again, right there in your bulletin or in your Bible. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. The power that works within us. Now this is not the first time that the word power has appeared in the book of Ephesians. You go back to uh, it's, it's sort of like when you're going through a story like or a book like the book of Ephesians, you notice when you're watching a Netflix series, there might be something that happens early on in an earlier episode that, that, that now appears in a later episode. That happens in the book of Ephesians because in Ephesians 1:19, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we could see the surpassing greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Paul goes on to say that that power is demonstrated in the fact that Christ, though he was dead, he was raised from the dead. And then it goes on to say that that same power is available to Christians. In Ephesians chapter 2, we saw two ways that the power of God is displayed. One, the raising from spiritual death to spiritual life of people who put their faith in Christ. And so everybody in this room who's experienced salvation has experienced the power of God because Ephesians 2 says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. You see how the theme of the power of God carries on through the book of Ephesians. You look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 and it talks about Jews and Gentile and how there was a dividing wall and God tore down that dividing wall 
and he, he, he resolved this division. He reconciled the division between Jews and Gentiles. He brought them into one new man and one new body. That is the power of God. So now we come to this verse, and we need to ask ourselves the question, how do you and I experience the power of God today? It says there, first of all, I want you to notice this great phrase in verse 20. Now to him who is able... Now, for all of, the, all of you that are listening to me, I just wish that I, could, that I could speak Irish the way Mark McKinney does. Because he gets up here and he says stuff and it just makes it sound so, you know, so powerful and makes it sound so important. So wh- how would Mark McKinney say that? Well, the A in able would now be changed to a short E and he would say he is able, he is able. So that's what I want to say to you. I want to say that God is able able and you're supposed to say gosh Mike that just tugs at my heart God is able he is able now what is this power of God it says I want you to notice really carefully at the end of verse 20 it says according to the power of God that works within us this is a power that works within us so what I want to say first of all so as to not mislead anyone this is this power that is available to Christians is not the health and wealth theology. It is not the, uh, the, pros- the American prosperity gospel. Because the Bible teaches that even Christians will experience the afflictions and the sufferings of this life. It is not that kind of power. That's not what we're talking about here. Molly and I have been watching a, uh, a, a series on Disney Plus called The Mandalorian. And uh, it's really good. We're a little bit late to the game. A lot of you already watched season two. Molly and I are still watching season one. But what I love about them, it's, it's almost like an old Western. The, the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter who is going, and, and every situation he gets into, he can get out of. He's got this incredible armor, so even if it gets struck, it doesn't kill him. The guy is just, and it's, it's almost as if he's this, this, this larger-than-life hero, it's almost as if he's got these superpowers. So when you and I read in the Bible that the power of God is at work in us, we might be tempted to think that's a health and wealth theology. We might temp- be tempted to think that's a prosperity gospel. We might be tempted to think if I have God's power, I can be like the Mandalorian. But that is not what it is talking about in this passage. It's talking about something even deeper than that. So what is the power of God? Well, one of the things we see, one of the places we see the power of God is in the Christmas story. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, the angel of the Lord appears to Mary, who is a virgin, and says that she is going to bear a child. And Mary says, how can this be that I'm going to bear a child? And the angel of the Lord says, that nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. So Christians go through life, we listen to a verse like that and we have every reason to to go through life with a sense of expectancy because nothing will be impossible for God. He raised Christ from the dead. Christ said, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevent prevail against it not COVID not anything will prevail against the church throughout the ages so we have the power of God available to 
us. But there's more. There's more to that about that power. I want you to look carefully at this passage again because you want to see the context. There is, there is a sandwich that I want you to catch in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. So verse 20 is a verse that says that he is able, that this power of God is at work within us. But notice what comes before. It says in verse 19, it's talking there about Paul praying for us that we'd have the power to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the first part of that sandwich is that you and I would experience the love of God, that we would have the power to comprehend how great God's love is for us. And that is the power of God displayed to comprehend his love. And then notice what he says in verse chapter 4, in verse 2, he said, he, Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So God has called us to experience his love so that we can love others, to be loved and then to love as we have been loved. That is the purpose of the power of God. Now you say, Mike, that's not, you know, I want a little bit more Mandalorian in this sermon. I, you're, you're telling me that what the power of God is for is to give me the power to love others as Christ has loved us. Yes, that is exactly what I am telling you, that that is what this is about. So don't think, though, that this is less important, less cool than the Mandalorian or anything else that God, God can give us. I would say to you that as I look at my life, of all the challenges that I have faced in my life, the biggest mountain that I have ever had to climb and the hardest mountain is the mountain of learning to love others. It is the mountain of, in my heart, moving from selfishness to unselfishness. It is, it is that mountain of transformation inside of me where I'm no longer a Scrooge, but I'm a generous person. That is what the Holy Spirit does. That is the power of God. And that is why I said at the beginning of the sermon that my goal, our goal in this sermon is that none of us in this room would leave changed by what this passage of scripture is teaching. And I am telling you, I am challenging you that the purpose of this passage is to change us, to change our ability to love. That is a supernatural thing. That is a powerful thing. That is one of the most important things that could ever happen to you. Now, how does that work in our lives? How does it work to experience his love? Well, it says that Christ has come to live in our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives within us. So I had an experience, uh, as, as some of you know, during Advent, I've been writing a blog each day that's gone out for the first 21 days of December, the Advent blog. So when I get up in the morning, I actually read the very blog that I've written, even though I know what it's going to say. So I go and I read it, even before I, even before I read the newspaper, even before all the other stuff that I want to do, I sit down with a cup of coffee, and it's just a brief blog, and I read it. And so a few days ago, I was reading in the blog, and it was about in, earlier in Ephesians where it talks about how Paul bows his knees before the Father from whom every family on, in heaven and on earth derives its name. So the blog post was about God as our Father, and I had put a companion verse with that 
out of, out of Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, our Father. And so I thought to myself, what if this morning I stopped and I prayed the Lord's Prayer right now? What would it be like if I did that? So I prayed these words. I said, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I prayed these words, give us, each, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And when I prayed that verse, I was stopped dead in my tracks because that verse teaches that what God wants Mike Tilly to do, what God wants you to do, is to forgive others their trespasses, those that have trespassed our lives, those that have hurt us. God wants us to forgive others the way that he has forgiven us. Do you realize how hard that is? Have you ever struggled with bitterness? Do you have a person in your life right now where you are just rehearsing arguments, needing to win, wanting to win, wanting revenge? And as I thought about that verse, that was a verse that I needed in my life that day to give me the power of God to extend forgiveness. And so it was just, it was just like a miracle in my heart to have my heart shift from anger to empathy. That is what God wants to do in our hearts. Now, Mike, are you some kind of Mandalorian now that you're just going around forgiving people? No, no, my heart is deceitful. My heart is wicked. I've got to fight that battle, but I have the power of Christ. I have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Ran across a quote by a guy by the name of Michael Kruger. I want you to listen to this quote. I want you to listen to why this is better than the prosperity gospel, why this is better than the Mandalorian, this whole idea of as we have been loved, therefore love others. Listen to this quote from Michael Kruger. He says, the hardest thing in the universe is the human heart. The hardest thing in the universe is the human heart. And you know that's true in your life sometimes. You know that's true in the lives of other people. The hardest thing in the universe is the human heart. Only God's spirit can pierce through it. Only God's spirit can pierce through it. So you say, well, Mike, how does that work practically for us? What if I want to, how does God change us? How does the spirit work in our life? I'll give you an illustration. You have in your pocket this morning a cell phone with beautiful colors on the front of it. That cell phone has amazing capabilities. You've got your music on Spotify. You've got your videos. You've got your, your, your photos on there. You've got the ability to do FaceTime and texting and email. You can watch YouTube. You can go on Zoom. You've got amazing capabilities on your cell phone. But if you do not plug it into electricity at night and charge it, that beautiful cell phone will be powerless. Now what the Bible teaches is that for the Christian, the power to change us comes from Christ. It comes from our union with Christ. It's the fact that as Ephesians says, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So it is incumbent upon us to stay connected to Christ. 
to, to be involved in fellowship, to be involved in worship, to read God's word. That's why Matthew 6 had such a powerful effect on me. It was like my heart was connected to Christ at that moment. That is what changes us, and we need outside help for that. That's why we challenge people to stay connected to the ordinary means of grace, the word of God, fellowship, prayer, worship, stuff like that, because that is how God changes the heart. And that is, you guys, to go from a, a, an Ebenezer Scrooge heart to a loving, forgiving, forgiving heart is the hardest thing in the world, and it is a miracle of God. It is a Christmas miracle. It is worthy of a Christmas carol. We gotta talk about the next verse, though. We've talked, first of all, about the power of God. He is able, and his power is at work in us. But notice the next verse. The next part is about the glory of God. Look at what he says in verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Now, what is he talking about when he's talking about the glory of God? What does the glory of God mean? Now, I realize that some of you watching online, there are people here today, many of you perhaps are rather new to the faith, and so you hear all these religious words like the glory of God, what is that about? The glory of God is actually the expression of his attributes. It is the revealing of what God is like so that we might appreciate him more. Christians are called to live according to the glory of God. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and the first words in that book were, it's not about you. It's not about you. Now, that's, that's the whole tension throughout human history is realizing whether it's about the glory of God or if it's about me. That is the, that is the battle, that is the cosmic battle of the ages is coming to that point where I'll live my life for the glory of God. Now, you might say, well, no, I wanna live, I wanna worship other stuff. I wanna worship money, I wanna worship fame, I wanna worship success, and I wanna worship myself. That does not have a good end to it. God, was, God created us to worship him. It's all about the glory of God, and that is the best thing for us, and that is the best thing for others. Ebenezer Scrooge, it was all about himself. It was not about others. God has called us to not live for ourselves, but to live for his glory. Now, the best way to, to drive home the glory of God. By the way, it was a Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism that said the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is what, how you and I were made. So the best way to understand it is look at a couple of ways that the glory of God is expressed. So let me give you a couple. Did you guys know that tomorrow night, one hour after sunset, December 21st, there will be Jupiter and Saturn will be aligned with each other so that if you look up in the sky, they will look like one bright planet. That has not happened since something like the 13th century. It has been 800 years since that happened. And you go, Mike, Mike why do you tell that story? Well, first, it's incredibly cool that it's gonna happen, but when you contemplate, contemplate the universe, the universe is speaking to us about the glory of God. How do you know that? Psalm 19, one says, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
So tomorrow night when you watch that, you should look up in the sky and you should be in awe of God and you should glorify God because the universe, the creation declares the glory of God and that's gonna be an amazing thing. God's glory at Christmas, the angels got into the act when they said, when they, when they announced the birth of Christ, they said, glory to God in the highest and the angels got into it. And then the wise men, the wise men from the east, the magi, they wanted, they, they saw that star of the Messiah that they were looking for and they came to worship him because they too wanted to fit in with God's purposes and so they sought him and then that star itself played a starring role in the whole story and even led them to Bethlehem. So God is, God is, is, is glorified there and then you go deeper into verse 21 and it says to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever and I want you to notice there that God's glory is most expressed in Christ Jesus Hebrews chapter chapter 1 says that Christ is the exact radiance of the glory of God. And so that, that little baby that we sang about, who led that life, who, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, he radiates the glory of God, and it says he does it from age to age, from, from generation to generation. We may have had a hard year in 2020. We may have some rough, rough stuff going on, but there is nothing, it'll, it goes from age to age, the, the, the way that Christ radiates his glory throughout the centuries. And then finally it says that the glory of God, that you and I, like the angels, like the heavens, like the wise men, like Christ, God has called us as the church to radiate the glory of God. Look again at verse 21, to him be the glory in the church. Now why is that? Why does he say that? It glor the, the Bible says that the unity of the church is what announces the gospel. In John 17, 21, Jesus prayed that you and I would be one so that the world might know that God sent his son. That is how the church glorifies God. You remember Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 10, it says that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed to the principalities and powers. What is the manifold wisdom of God? It is people from all over the world, different peoples, different cultures, Jews and Gentiles, other cultures as part of one church. That is for the glory of God. And when God changes your heart and my heart and we love people who are hard to love, that brings glory to God. God expresses his glory through the church. What, a, what an amazing thing that we see in this passage, the power of God and the glory of God. So thinking about these two things, remember I said at the beginning, my hope is that none of us would leave here changed. So I wanna ask you this question, just by way of application. Do you know, is there a Scrooge in your life that you know about right now that needs to be changed? Is there somebody in your life that you just, you just hope that they change, that they grow, that they get it? I want you to know from this passage, God is able to do that according to the power that works within us. What if, what if that Scrooge is you? 
What if today you're overwhelmed by the fact the way that you've hurt someone, the way that you've hurt other people? What if like Scrooge, the Holy Spirit made you aware of ways that you have caused others to suffer? What would it be like if that brought our hearts to that, that place where we were undone, where we were broken, where we could realize I've been a Scrooge? Wouldn't that be the greatest gift in the world to your family, to your friends, to your church, to others? Wouldn't that be the most powerful thing of all if the Holy Spirit could pierce the heart? I want to say to you, if you're, if you're feeling that way, he is able. He is able for two reasons. One, Christ died for our worst sins, and that is the best news of all. And because of that, the Spirit of God lives in our heart, Christ dwells in our hearts, and there might be, there might be something about you that you wonder, God, will this ever change in my life? Is there any hope for my life? I want to say to you on the authority of Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to change you. And I want to say one last word to those of you that you identify with the wise men. You're on a journey to Bethlehem. You're on a journey to Christ. What I want to say to you, that if you are in the process of exploring the gospel and exploring the message of Christ, if you are still thinking about whether you want to live a life for yourself or for the glory of God, I want to say to you that as God did for the wise men, God is able to lead you this Christmas season to a baby in Bethlehem who will change your life. God is able to lead you there. Continue to walk the path of the wise men. You know, as, as, as you and I go into stores, as you and I turn on the radio in our car, the background music, the background music of December is Christmas carols and Christmas songs. That's our background music. What I would like to suggest to you that for us as a church, for us as individual Christians, the background music for us year-round is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that he is able, he is at work within you to change you for his glory. The good news of the gospel and the background music of your life and my life and of this church will be this. As you have been loved, as you have been loved, love others. You guys, that will change your family, that will change your life, that'll change your relationship to this church, that'll change your relationship to the world. That's the background music for us as we move into 2021. As you have been loved, so love. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a Christmas miracle it would be. What a Christmas miracle it would be if the indwelling Christ today, by his spirit, would bring about miraculous change in all of our hearts. We invite you to do that today. In fact, we humble ourselves before you today. We cry out to you. 
change us, change me. Give us grace to know your love and to extend that love to others by the power of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.